Our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 689. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me mention one more time the two passages. Look up, if you would, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we'll go to that in a moment, and Hebrews chapter 4. The first one is page 129 in the Pew Bible, second is page 847. 129, 847. If you don't have a pew Bible uh, and you got your own, I'm going to trust that you kind of know where to get there. So uh, look forward to that. Re- recently, I was watching a news uh, program, uh, evening news, and, and there was a news team that was filming first graders at a local elementary school who were doing a simulation game called 25 Years Later. And it was teaching students what all they might be dealing with 25 years from that time and all the different possibilities of going to college and grad school, getting a job, maybe getting married, maybe having kids, having a house to buy, bills to pay, all that. And they, they filmed some of this simulation and they decided as they should, you know, let's, let's uh, interview one or two kids. And the very first one I loved, uh, he went over to a little girl, first grader, said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And she just looked right at the camera and said, tired. Well, that was good. <laughs> She looked a little frightened after doing that simulation. Well, there's no need for me to uh, pelt you with stats or anything. You know how tired and stressed and burnt out we can be by all of the fast-paced activities that we have, all the multitasking that we do, how sometimes we really do need to stop and, as JT said, press the call button. And as the choir has reminded us, be still and know that he is God. The thing is, we keep going, going, going at that pace, and yet Jesus offers us what has become known through the history of the church as the great invitation. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. Now, the Bible is serious about rest. You remember on the seventh day, God did not engage in any creative activity. He rested. He did that not for himself, but for us to offer us a model to follow, which is why later on Jesus said to the legalistic Pharisees, what, the Sabbath was what? Made for man, not what? Man for the Sabbath. It was made for us. Now, I want you to go to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 5, because I find this so interesting and so helpful for me. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, this is the second uh, version of the Ten Commandments. It's the same Ten Commandments. It's the same thing. But the Deuteronomic author gives us a little more commentary on this that I think is just fascinating. Some of you uh, know the account of the Ten Commandments that you find in Exodus 20. This is the the Deuteronomic version of it, which is the same but with some extra insights which are just, just wonderful. Keep in mind, if you will, resting is one of the Ten Commandments. Think about that. Right up there with matters of dealing with murder and adultery and and idolatry and and stealing and coveting and honoring your family. Rest is in the top ten. 
So obviously, already we know that God takes that seriously, and the Word of God takes it seriously. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy 5, beginning at verse 12, notice what it says there. In the NIV here, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons and your daughters. Now, why? Why do we do that? Skip down to verse 15, because I find this so significant. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Now consider that for just a moment. You remember before they were delivered from bondage, they were literally working themselves into the ground, working themselves to death. They were just in this ongoing pattern of burdensome labor. And he puts it here with the commandment of, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In other words, take time to Sabbath. And really, as Jesus adds to this, he says you should Sabbath every day. Take time to rest every day. Press that button and be still every day. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God delivered them from this work to a place of rest. So what he is saying is that when you rest, it is a declaration of freedom. It is a declaration of liberation. When you rest, it is a revolutionary act. You're kind of going against the world and declaring your liberation from a lot of things, workaholism and materialism and all those other isms that we get so caught up in that take us away from the rest that we can savor, embrace, and, and relish each and every day. It's an act of liberation. That's a wonderful word. Why do we rest? Because we're no longer slaves to what the world throws at us. And then let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. I have talked about this wonderful passage before, but it's worth mentioning again. And as you're going there to Hebrews chapter 4, keep in mind that Hebrews was written to a first century urban culture of Jewish Christians what it was written to. First century urban Jews who were tired, (laughs) which is why rest is such a big theme in this wonderful writing. Let me read beginning at verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And that really means every day. Make every effort every day to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. And again, you're being disobedient because you're acting like a slave again. Kind of goes back to Deuteronomy. But what does he mean by a rest remains for the people of God? This goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. You remember at the end of each day, God created something new or someone new. And at the end of each day, he said, it is, what did he say? He said, it is good. And then there's that wonderful refrain, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Do you know what I'm talking about? It kind of gives closure to each of the days. Second day he creates, and then there was evening, there was morning the second day. Down to the sixth day, he creates man. He says it is very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. You get to Genesis chapter 2 where it says that God rested from his labors on the seventh day. But what's interesting is it doesn't say there was evening, there was morning, the seventh day. It doesn't appear there. 
And ancient rabbinical scholars love to argue about this. They love to argue about Scripture. That was kind of their way of showing how much they loved Scripture. But they said, why isn't that there? Why isn't that closure there the way it was the first six days? And they argued about it for a long, long time. Finally, they came to the right conclusion. They said, you know what God is telling us here? You know what he's telling us? There's an open-endedness to that rest that is available for us whenever we need it. There's no evening and morning closure to that. That rest remains for us, Hebrews chapter 4. It remains for us and is there for us for the taking at any time. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful word? It's there for us whenever. Whenever we press the call button, it's there for us. And then we come to our main passage this morning. You go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, which we have heard so often. And again, this is such a good word because it's not just saying, hey, you need to take breaks on occasion. This isn't just a self-help passage. I'm not up here just to say, you know, just as Jesus took breaks, and he did as an example for us, you should take breaks too. No, there's so much more rich um, theology. There's so much more rich spirituality here that we're talking about. You know, it's not just taking a rest. It's receiving his rest. And what is the nature of the rest that Christ offers. There's really an initial rest and then a continual rest. First of all, Jesus gives you the rest of his grace. The words rest and grace in the New Testament are closely, closely connected. What did Jesus say? When you're stressed, when you're labor and you're heavy laden, he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me first. Don't go to wherever, whoever, come to me. Do we appreciate how personal an invitation that is from him? Do we realize how blessed we are to be offered that personal invitation at all? It's a personal invitation from him. You know, it's not an invitation to an institution. It's not an invitation to therapy. It's not an invitation to a self-help program. It's not an invitation to some ritualistic kind of process that can make us feel better. First and foremost, it's an invitation to him. Come to me. It's personal. The words me and my are so clear and important in that passage. It's an invitation to join him. Buddha said what? Let's compare. Buddha said, you will find rest if you successfully follow the eightfold path. If you commit yourself to developing, working hard toward these eight virtues... These eight virtues, having the right view all the time, the right intention all the time, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Do all of these successfully, and you will achieve self-awakening and rest. you got to work at them, though. And you got to get them all right and be successful at them all the time. And you might not make it, but then at least Buddha said you, you, you do have a do-over if you need it, called reincarnation. So you can do a do-over if you have to. But Buddha says do all these things and, and succeed at all of them, and you will then, only then, find rest. You know what Jesus says? Come here. <laughs> That's what he says. Come here. Muhammad. Wow, all the more. Muhammad and the Quran and the Hadith say you might find rest. You, I emphasize the word, might find rest if you follow the five pillars of Islam. Shahada, declaring that there is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Well, that could be 
sort of easy enough. But then there's Salah, which is what? Five times a day you bow toward Mecca. You do that each and every day and pray, pray these ritualistic prayers every day at different points. And then Zakat, giving alms to the poor, 2.5% of all of your wealth. And then there's Psalm, which is fasting which part of that is that month-long fasting called Ramadan. And then the Hajj, the once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to Mecca. Do all of these and do all of these successfully in a way that please Allah. And Allah, let me say this, might, might give you salvation and rest if he wills it. You need to know about Muslim theology. If he wills it, you do all this stuff and he might reward you in that way. You know what Jesus says? Come here. Come to me. It's a personal invitation in a way that you do not see that in any of the other major faiths. Come here. It's so simple. And that's partly why he declares that my burden is light. It's this incredible act of grace. Only Jesus says, come to me. Receive my grace that brings you ultimate rest. Rest from what? Labor. In the Greek there, kopiao. It's an interesting word, kopiao, in the Greek. You know, it it, it literally means that which cuts or lacerates. Think about that. You ever felt that way? Getting banged around by, by the busyness of life, the crises of life, the challenges of life, the trials that you face? And it can lacerate you. It means that was that which lacerates or shatters. It's used to describe back then a boat or a ship that shatters when it hits against a reef. And labors and burdens can do that to you and me, can they not? They can lacerate us, they can bruise us, they can wound us, they can even shatter us. And only Jesus can bring the healing as we try to manage on our own sometimes, unfortunately, but he can deliver us from the labors and the burdens of life when we are tossed about and lacerated, cut up, shattered by all of what life throws at us. Only he can heal us, save us, take us to that place of ultimate rest. And I would say that Jesus also gives us the rest of his life for the rest of our life. That's the way I would put it. Gives us the rest of his life for the rest of our life. It's wonderful. You can enter into his rest, which is available, which remains for you each and every day for the rest of your life. And what's incredible is that it goes beyond this life into eternity where he now is. What a grace that is. We can bask in that grace now and all the more in the reality to come once we leave this life. And what's wonderful, it says, he says, my yoke is light. Look at verse 29 again. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. He goes on and says that my yoke is light. Now, yoke was already used in Jesus' day. Sometimes this yoke idea, we might hearken back to an image of, of an oxen with, with yoke on it, but really, it was a common term in Jesus' day. If there was ever a student who might be wanting to become a rabbi, and they wind up connecting with some rabbi, kind of attaching themselves to that rabbi, becoming a protege of that rabbi, they would say, oh, well, he is yoked to rabbi so-and-so. In other words, he has become a disciple of that rabbi, a learner of that rabbi. 
And that's part of the paradox of, of the yoke, that being a disciple of Jesus, a learner of Jesus' way, does not weigh you down. It actually lifts you up. How does he do that? Well, his yoke keeps and preserves your life. You, you might think at times that, that, that following Christ is, is more of a burdensome yoke, but it is not. I, I think of a deep sea diver uh, who has an oxygen tank, and as that deep sea diver is walking around the deck of the boat, you know, before he or she goes into the water, it may become kind of cumbersome, kind of burdensome. But you know what? It ain't a burden when you're 50 feet underwater, and that's your oxygen tank. Number one, it becomes lighter in the water anyway. Secondly, it helps you breathe. You need that. Again, that's, that's the same way as living with Christ when we are tossed about into the waters of life that are so challenging. That's when his burden, or his yoke rather, helps us with the burdens that we carry. Or I think of a paratrooper. I can see a paratrooper in, in you know, a plane waiting to jump, and it's, it's, you know, it, it kind of crowds him as he's sitting there, and he doesn't want it on. I think he does want it, though, when he enters into the free air. You know, Jesus' yoke could seem like a burden until you and I face some dire crisis in our lives, and then we realize how incredible his yoke is. His yoke is, is light. Uh, it, the word there for light really can mean simple. And it's, it's a simple gift. It's this simple grace that gets us through, and we can live it through in simple faith. And I love that because really when it gets down to it, He invites us into this faith that we live out very simply. Um, Just follow him. Just be still. I've always loved Psalm 131. It's one of my my favorites. And really, essentially, it's two verses. It says, Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too mighty for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul because of you. Like a child that rests against his mother, like a child that is quieted is my soul. I've always loved that. I just have the image of a little child just, just falling limp into his mother and just leaning against this mother who's rocking him, letting him know it's all right. It's this simple faith when it gets down to it. It's, it's, a, it's a yoke that is light. And, it, and it, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to know too much about the Bible. You don't know, have to know too much about Jesus to, to be able to lean into that rest. I've always loved the story about T.B. Maston, who uh, some of you know that my father was an ethicist in Baptist life. Another great ethicist in Baptist life was named T.B. Maston. He taught uh, ethics at the Southwestern Baptist Seminary for decades, wrote or contributed to um, over 50 books. I bet you've heard of Maston. You were down there, weren't you? Just a great, great man of God. Brilliant man. PhD from Yale. Written all these books. Taught thousands of, of theologians and ministers, scholars along the way. He was uh, 89 years old, was in the hospital, was kind of struggling. It was toward the end of his life. And his pastor, Joel Gregory, went to, went to a visit uh, with him, make a pastoral call on him. And he walked into the hospital and he found it interesting. He said, I saw all these slips of paper all around the bed, on the bed stand there, a little desk over here. He said, I just found all these little pieces of paper with a little bit of writing on them. And he walked in and said, Dr. Maston, what is all this? He said, oh, I'm doing what I do every day. He said, I get little pieces of paper that I've cut up, and I will read one verse from one of the four Gospels, and I will write down what it says to me about Jesus, what it's telling me about Jesus in that one verse. 
He said, then I just keep hold of them and put them around me just to remind me. Just keeping it all simple. Now, here's a Ph.D. from Yale, brilliant man, 50 books under his belt, all that. But you know what? When it came down to what mattered in his life at a very vulnerable point in his life, he knew what counted. It was a very simple, wonderful faith in the one who makes our burden light because of the lightness of his yoke. It's a simple, simple rest that he offers, which is so wonderful. And it's so wonderful to be around those folks who exude that simple faith. I mentioned Cameron Thomas earlier, JT's good friend. How many of y'all were here when Cameron preached? I think he's capable. I think he's got potential, don't you? And uh, was it two Sundays ago, they had his installation service at Mount Zion Baptist Church in in Pell City, uh, Alabama. JT, you were there, right? Okay, now let me tell you something. That's, well, you know where I'm going with this. It was a great service. I'd say there were 12, at least 12 pastors who got up to give words of encouragement, scripture reading with some comments, uh, some prayers, uh, one sermon. But you got, you got 12 to 15 preachers, so you know what's going to happen, right? That thing started at 3 o'clock, and of course I'm thinking, oh, I'll be out at 4, I can go down to, uh, to Richie's Barbecue there in Vince and I'll be fine. It started at 3, y'all. How long did that thing get? What time did you leave? Do you know? Yeah. I left at 7 o'clock. It was a, a four-hour service with no breaks. And, and, and I was honored to have a, a, a part of the service. And so I was sitting right up toward the front. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get up and walk. You know, it's that terrible feeling. I can't get out of here, you know. And I, could, I, I didn't feel like I could pull the, oh, I've had an emergency come up. And I go, nah, I didn't do that. Don't let preachers get away with that. And... Uh, but I'm, and I'm sitting there with the matriarch of that church, just an amazing, amazing woman named Mother Annie O'Neill. 96 years old, joined that church in 1929, dressed in this beautiful purple dress, beautiful purple hat. I mean, and we're sitting up there right, right at the front, you know, toward the front. And uh, this thing went four hours with no intermission, no nothing. I mean, it kept going. And I'm thinking, bless her heart, because she had told me she was 96 years old, been a long time ever. I thought, bless her, how's she going to make it? Now, I'm sitting there, and I'm shifting uncomfortably in my seat after an hour, you know, just, just as some of y'all do. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm doing the, and I it came to sympathize with y'all too, by the way. But, but after an hour, I'm like, okay, you know, it, boy, got a lot to go on the program, but it'll probably go. Th-. And it just kept going. And I'm sitting there like, man, how am I going to, you know, and I start, I'm getting hungry, you know, other things are happening, and I'm like, well, what, what am I going to do here? And it's packed. You can't, you know, if you leave, it's very evident you're going to leave, because it was a packed house. For, I kept looking over at Mother Annie, and she's just loving every minute of it. And she's just doing great. And, and pe- once or twice, people leaned in, Mother Annie, you okay? I'm fine, darling. I'm fine. Just kept going. It was superhuman. I was like, how is she doing this? And I was exhausted by 7 o'clock. And I turned to Mother Annie. I just said, Mother Annie, i got to tell you, I'm amazed. I mean, you, just, you, you handled this like it was nothing. She says, it wasn't nothing. It was fine. And I said, I remember this. I said, you were just soaking it up, and you were just an inspiration to me because I didn't know if I was going to be able to, to go this long. And I said, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? I'll never forget. She looked up at me and said, Jesus... And I waited for the predicate, you know. I thought, okay, started, there's the subject, Jesus. And, and, and I was waiting for her to tell me more. 
And there was this real awkward silence, and she looked at me and said, son, that's it, right there. <laughs> said, that's all. Jesus. So the question is, would you and I be willing to take on that yoke today? What do we have to lose but to enter into that incredible, simple rest that he offers to us? I want to close. There's this wonderful writer I've just been introduced to through my wife, Deanna, named Ann Voskamp. Has anybody heard of her? She wrote this book called A Thousand Gifts. Incredible writer. Deanna was on her blog the other day because she knew that she had written something about Uganda. And my daughter, our daughter Hannah, is over there in Uganda right now. And she was reading, this is Ann Voskamp, was reading this blog online about a woman named Shannon who had gone to Uganda on a mission trip. And she uh, met this little girl whose name was Peace. And I want, can you put the picture up there? It's, it's a beautiful uh, picture of, of uh, Shannon sitting there with this little girl on the left named Peace. And, and she just blogged about, I met this wonderful young lady named Peace. And she said this was the one thing she was going to have for her meal that day was an egg, a hard-boiled egg. But she said she, she sat Peace in her lap, and Peace took her time peeling the egg. But when she finished, she handed the egg to Shannon and offered it to her. And, and the way she wrote about it was beautiful. But then as Ann Voskamp was reading about this uh, woman who was over there uh, on this mission trip, it got uh, Ann to thinking about it because she was sitting there reading this with her own daughter who was sitting on her lap whose name is Shalom, which means peace. And she wrote this wonderful passage, and Deanna broke down as she was reading it to me, and Amy Clark read it uh, the other uh, day as she was putting this together. But I just want to read this. I just think this is beautiful. Uh, just, and this is Ann Voskamp commenting on this story about uh, peace giving this egg to this woman named Shannon. And she just reflected on it, said, That offered egg in her hand, what in the world are we all holding on to? What are we clinging to? worrying about, believing, really. The only way to hold on to peace is to let go. Worry is belief gone wrong because you don't believe that God will set it right. But peace, peace is belief that exhales because you believe that God's provision is everywhere, like air. Exhale, let go. Peace is the belief that God's provision is everywhere. We could be someone else's peace, someone else's God-given provision. Beautiful words. Peace is belief that exhales, and through that we can be God's peace to other people. That's what we are called to do. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment, and we're going to enter into a time of meditation and be aided by a beautiful song uh, that Keith and Joe will be performing, and it's called Still. And I want you to listen to the words along with the music because it really challenges us here as far as what it means to be still and know that He is God. Let's just listen to this song.
stressed? In what way are you weary? What is causing that in your own life? Will you give that over to the living Christ whose rest remains there for you even this moment? Simple and light and there for the receiving a personal invitation from him. Oh God, we pray especially for those in this room right now who are struggling in some way and need to find that sense of surpassing peace peace surpassing rest that only you offer grant them to them this day this hour and oh god we thank you for that ultimate rest that you offer to us way beyond this life as we reach eternity with you and loved ones face to face what a wonderful joyful restful reunion that will be what a gift oh god we give you thanks in your name we pray amen